Well, we're in, uh, as Brian mentioned, a new sermon series in the book of Genesis that's going to take us uh, over the next handful of months. We'll take a little break during Advent and celebrate Christmas, but for the most part, uh, we'll be spending time in Genesis all the way from here to the spring. And uh, Genesis is this literary masterpiece, and I'm so excited for us to be going through uh, this book together. And what the book really is, it's about promises. Uh, It's about the promises of God and the promises that he keeps. And there's an old saying that goes, you're only as good as the promises you keep. And Genesis is very much about God's promises and then the promises he keeps. And these first few weeks, though, we we have to look at God creating because he has to create first before he can promise anything. So it's the creation of the skies. It's the creation of the green hills, it's the the creation of the animals, and the apex of his creation is humanity. We we see in Genesis chapter 1 that we looked at last week, um, this refrain, and it's it's good, and it's good. It's God commenting on creation, and after he creates humanity on the sixth day, he said it's very good. And one of the questions that we asked last week, uh, as we looked at the passages of 27 through 31 of chapter 1, is his creation of, of humanity the first people, and what does it mean to be fully human? In other words, the question that we wanted to answer last week was, who am I? And I want to continue with that question this morning um, as we look deeply uh, in that and look at Genesis chapter 2 and 3, mainly, of answering that question, who am I? And you have some teaching notes that in your program, I encourage you to pull that out. You can follow along with this morning's teaching, but who am I? What does it mean to be fully human? And back in the 4th century, there was a, name, a guy named Augustine. And Augustine was very influential in the growth and expansion of Christianity. Probably next to Paul and Jesus, he had the biggest influence on Christianity. And his answer to that question is, what does it mean to be fully human? Who am I? Was that, that humanity sort of vacillates between animal and angel. And um, if you've been watching the news lately, the last uh, couple of days, the news out of Oregon, this community college in Oregon, and reading about this mass shooting, you'd say that this killer uh, was very animal-like. But then also you read the account of a couple of individuals who, who actually put their, their lives at stake, one man in particular that, that barred a door to save lives. And you'd answer that question and say, well, it, we're actually angel-like. So it's this tension between animal and angel, yet the writer of Genesis provides this beautiful picture of what it means to be fully human. Who am I? What's, what's life meant to be? If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a, a verse from Genesis 2 and then also Genesis 3, and then we're going to also look at a section of wisdom literature in the Song of Songs and kind of put those together to answer that question, What does it mean to be fully human? Before we do that, let me pray. God in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can come together. We praise you. Uh, We praise your name. God, we come here for a variety of reasons, but mainly we want to worship you. Um, Our souls want to be lifted, and as Brian prayed too, um, we might be coming out of a a difficult circumstance right now, but above all, God, we want to praise your name. We, We want to lift up your renown, your fame, and as a, as a community, we bow before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the slides behind me. If you do have a Bible or, or perhaps a tablet or your cell phone and you're not texting somebody or doing online shopping, 
uh, you can go to the New Living Translation and actually follow along with me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God, Elohim in the Hebrew, formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And this passage right here is an absolutely beautiful picture. Um, we talked a little bit about this last week, but that word formed is a very important word. It, it, it's just this beautiful, uh, stunning, compelling word picture. And the Hebrew word for formed is yatsar. In the original language of the Bible, yatsar was the word used for form. And, and what it is, it's actually a technical Hebrew word for what a potter does with clay. He forms it. He yatsars it, for lack of a better term. He shapes it and he molds it. So what the writer of Genesis is trying to give us a picture of is that this is a God who is different from the other gods of the the neighboring cultures. We talked about that last week. That this God is actually intimate with his creation. He's he's sort of hands-on. Of course, God doesn't have hands, but, but that's the idea that the writer of Genesis wants to get across is that he's very intimately involved in forming humanity. And the prophet Isaiah, later on in the Old Testament, I encourage you, if you have some time this week, to read Isaiah, because Isaiah, just, he just expounds on this Yatsar concept and talks about it quite a bit. So the question of who am I, or what does it mean to be fully human, it means that we have this special bond with God the Creator. You weren't an accident. You weren't something that just kind of put together from, from raw materials or, or just simply a reproductive result is that you are made, you're formed. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 didn't just happen, it happens. That that God yatsars you. And within our lives, within our lives, we could say we have the fingerprints of God upon our life. What a beautiful picture. Let's move over now to chapter 3. And let's take a look at chapter 3, verse 8. And we're going to talk more about Genesis 3 because there's a lot going on in this chapter by itself. And I invite you to come to uh, next week as we continue with this series in Genesis. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that next week. Then the Lord God, Elohim, called to the man, where are you? So what we can infer from this passage is that there's this sort of regular kind of gathering, this regular sort of normal meeting that God had with his people. Because they're not where they're supposed to be. Otherwise, God would not say, where are you? So this Yatsar in chapter 2 isn't something that just happens once, but this special bond, we, 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 see, we begin to see expression of this in chapter 3, that this special bond actually is in this relationship of God with his people. He, he wants to hang with them. He wants to spend time with them. They're, they're not simply a creation, an object to put on some kind of shelf or something. He actually wants to engage this mutuality between God and humanity this love that he has with his creation. And this question, where are you, is not a question of condemnation. It's not a question of judgment. Some of us have grown up with that before, that uh, we hear our parents, you know, we're, we're, we're supposed to be somewhere and we're not in the right spot. Where are you, Craig Ryan Case? That's how like parents, they say the full name. And you really know you're in trouble. Yeah, that, that's not the kind of question we're seeing here. I, I see this a question of, of a lover. 
painstaking, emotional, where are you? One scholar says these are the first words of grace recorded in Scripture. Is that this God is, his people are not where they're supposed to be, and he, he's crying out, where are you? This special bond, this intimate bond with humanity. I want to move ahead now to the Song of Songs. In, it's a section of the Bible called Wisdom Literature, and it's the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 3. And just a, a, a riveting passage. And the writer of Song of Songs, and this, and this book can be interpreted in a couple of different ways. Oftentimes it's read at weddings, and we see it where it's a groom uh, sharing romantic language, kind of a Romeo and Juliet sort of thing, sonnets and everything, uh, that the, the groom is speaking to his, his bride and the bride to, to her groom. And there's one, that part of it. But also you need to know back in the, back in the days that the Israelites— even the day of Jesus would actually um, interpret the Song of Songs also as God as lover. God speaking words of love to his people. And that's another way that you can interpret that. And, and that's the direction I'm going to go this morning. Chapter 6, verse 3. It says, I am my beloved's. I am my beloved's. In other words, you can put it in this way. I am God's beloved. I am God's beloved. What does it mean to be fully human? Who am I? Well, there's an answer. One of the answers. I am God's beloved. And this morning, for the rest of this message, I just want to break this down word by word, this statement. It's a very powerful statement. I am God's beloved. I want to begin first with the first word. I am God's beloved. It's personal. It's not we, it's not they, it's not them, it's I. I am God's beloved. There's a personal dimension to it. I was talking to a, a couple a few years, few years ago, and they were celebrating the fact that uh, their, their uh, brother uh, had, in fact, uh, him and his wife had had a, a baby girl. And they were so excited for their uh, brother and sister-in-law and uh, being uncles and aunts the first time, and they were to babysit and spend time uh, with their new niece. And, and in fact, I saw them a year later, and they were talking about it. I was like, wow, you know, we're, we're babysitting, and we're having a great time with our new niece, and what's really cool about it, we get to hand her off, and she has to go back home, and we can go back to our normal lives. It's one of the beauties of babysitting. They, they talked about being an uncle and aunt, and it was very special, it was very meaningful, but they said, a year later when they had their own baby, a baby boy, that there was something different about it when it came to children. There was a personal dimension to it that he could say, I am his father. And she could say, I am his mother. There's a difference between being an uncle and aunt and actually being parents. There's a personal dimension to it. And, and likewise, when we say, I am God's beloved is that there an individual, personal aspect to it. And maybe you're a person who has grown up in a family. And I hear this story quite a bit. You grew up in a family, and your family went to church, and there were people of faith, and you sort of, you know, it was sort of the, the normal environment. And you never even thought twice. It was just part of the, the milieu of your life when it came to social engagements and things like that. And, and it was just something you, you inherited. I talked to a lot of people about that. But they never made that decision 
that step to actually invite Christ into their life, to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Their family owned it. Their parents owned it. it was, that faith was something very much about their family, and perhaps it was generational, that you're always covenant people, or always Lutheran, a Lutheran family, what have you. But, but you never took that step to actually make it personal, to say, I am God's beloved. A couple of months ago, we had a wonderful baptism after our morning service, and it was incredible. And here's a couple of pictures we're going to show here. And uh, this is one of our students getting baptized, coming right out of the water. We did this in the gym, and it was just a, a very moving service. And here's, here's Bill Nice. Bill's got massive biceps, doesn't he? I mean, it took, like, me everything to help. You know, I, in fact, I think there's angels in the water, like, pushing him up because they knew, they knew there's no way I'm going to get him out of the water. Yeah. But look at Bill's expression. And, and both of them and the, and the other 11 people that shared their, shared their faith in their journey, each of them said, you know, I made this personal decision to, to follow Christ, and I want to be baptized this morning. That's what we're talking about is the personal dimension. Have you done that yet? I am God's beloved. That's so important. So important. I love what Jesus says in Revelation 3.20 where he invites us to make that, that part of our faith a personal reality, a personal dimension. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we, in other words, you and I, will share a meal together as friends. It's this beautiful relationship, the special bond that we saw in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 is, is Jesus saying, we're going to have this special bond if you simply open the door of, the, of your heart to me. So I is personalized. The next one, M. I am God's beloved. That simply means right here, right now. Right here, right now. That this is a reality. It's not something simply relegated to the past. It's not something that is way out in the future, perhaps after you die on the other side of life. That you are God's beloved right here, right now. Talking to a, a friend uh, a couple of months ago, and he was telling me about a trip that he had taken overseas. And he said, Craig, it was the best trip of my life. And he, he told me all about it. He had pictures and talked about the experiences, the sights and smells of the places he went. And then he said, I, I wish I, I could have a trip like that again. Yeah, for, for him, this, this amazing experience, this spectacular experience was, was in the past. And then, as we know, for a lot of people, during January, February, and March, it's like half the state of Minnesota goes to Arizona or Florida, right? And I know, uh, I was talking to my neighbor actually yesterday, and he's one of those, uh, those uh, snowbirds. He flies south. And he's saying, Craig, you know, in a month and a half, we're going to be going to Fort Myers again. They've been doing it for 20-some years. And he said this, and he just had this anticipation in his voice. I wish it was tomorrow. <laughs> I wish it was tomorrow. I have to wait a month and a half. And I was like, it's not that bad. It's beautiful, the autumn and the, and the weather. He's like, I'd rather be in Fort Myers. So for him, it's this anticipation. He has to wait for it. What? this statement is saying right now is that you, you don't have to wait for it. I am 
God's beloved. It's something right here, right now. It's something that is a part of your life in the present tense. And that's, that's important for us to realize this because I think sometimes some of us have this, this sort, of, sort of sense that, okay, when it comes to I am God's beloved, you know, back, back when I was kind of really doing things right, maybe five years ago or a few years ago, but right now my life is messed up. I don't feel like that. Like my, my best sort of religious years were behind me. Or, or maybe it's the this, this sense that I get as I talk to people and they talk about how if I clean up my act, if I can just get my, my life in order, then God is going to love me. That God is going to love me more. That God will accept me more. But we need to understand, as, as Paul says in Romans, there's nothing that you could ever do to make God love you less. I am God's beloved. It's present tense. It's the answer to the question, who am I? It's a question that our culture and our world tries to define for us, but fundamentally, the Bible speaks to it and say, it says, you are God's beloved. And I like how in the Bible, um, as it talks about this, this um, incredible reality that we are God's beloved and what we receive in Christ, uh, all the spiritual blessings. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, it's sort of like the, um, I would say, the, the, the hall of fame of, of spiritual blessings. It's, it's where Paul just goes through this bolded list of all the spiritual blessings that we have, uh, we have in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go to verse 3. When we say, I am God's beloved, to understand that am what we're afforded in, in Christ. Verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Look at verse 3. Every spiritual blessing. Now, that's not hyperbole. Paul really means that. Everything that you need spiritually is yours in Christ. It's, it's present tense. It's right there for you. Also, verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. So in Christ, you are holy and without fault. Present tense. Right here, right now. Let's continue on. Verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And to know that you have, if you have this relationship with Christ, is that you've been adopted into his family with all rights and privileges, that you are a part of the family of God. It's something that is in the present tense. Verse 8. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding right here, right now. You have God's kindness and his wisdom and understanding. I'm not sure about you, but for me, you come to this verse to realize that God's kindness, all his kindness is upon us. I need that in my life. In a world and a culture at times that seems very unkind, in a world and a culture that seems complex where I have decisions, and maybe that's you this morning, you have some decisions that you have to make that are hard, 
and you're not quite sure what direction to go, to know Ephesians 1.8, that God has given you wisdom and understanding, and simply, as it says in James, to ask him for that, and he'll give it to you. That we have all these things, present tense, in Christ. I am God's beloved. I want to look at that last phrase. God's beloved. I am God's beloved. It's a loaded term. We're saying about that is that we belong. We belong to God. And I don't care if you're 15, if you're 25, if you're 50. We all have this desire to belong, don't we? We want to belong. It's, and I think the challenge in, in our world today is finding belonging. We think belonging is, is having you know, a Facebook page with 500 friends or, or what have you, or having followers on Instagram or perhaps it's being in a church surrounded by people. But do you really belong at your workplace, in your neighborhood? But one of the promises of, of God, though, is that we belong to him, that no matter what happens in this world, we're never alone, that we belong. I am God's beloved. It's possession. Where, where God possesses us, and we belong to him. I remember when I was in 10th grade, we had moved, we had moved from uh, a small farming community, Spring Valley, Wisconsin, uh, population of 1,002, and I went there a couple years ago, and now it's 996 over 25 years. They've actually decreased by six people. Really interesting. Anyways, uh, but a small farming community, and, and I had grown up with my, my classmates. You know, we had about 30-some students in our class, and, and we knew everybody from kindergarten all the way up to ninth grade. In my 10th tenth, tenth grade year, we moved to Minnesota, and I went from a class size of over 30 to 450. And I didn't know a single person in that, this new school. We had moved to a suburb of St. Paul. I went from a high school size of a probably about 150 to a high school size, grades 9 through 12, almost 2,000 students. And I remember the first day of school, being so excited. I had my new school clothes on. I had my new notebooks and folders, you know what that, that is, pencils and pens and all that kind of stuff. And I was excited about 10th grade and, and, and going to this new school. But I was at, the same, at the same time, I was entirely freaked out. And I remember walking through the front doors, and opened the doors, and there, I was assuming like seniors or upperclassmen, they had these freshmen kissing the mascot that was on the floor of the doorway. And right away I knew I'm not in Spring Valley, Wisconsin. I'm not in Kansas anymore. And I kind of sidestepped that and made my way over to my locker. And uh, a guy I got to know really well later on, Tom Clark. Tom Clark was an athlete. And it was him and about six or seven of these other athletes. And, you know, I was pretty small for my age that, that time. And because of my class size back in Spring Valley, you know, it wasn't like there's was a big discrepancy at all. But, the, but when, I, when, we, when I, was, I got to my locker and saw Tom, and I saw all his athlete buddies that were on the football team, they looked like college football players. And there's little me trying to get into my locker, and I'm apologizing and absolutely just really freaked out, and I open my locker, get my textbook, apologizing again as I'm kind of bumping them, and I make my way to my class. And then later on in the day uh, was lunch hour, best time, best period of the day for me. And came into the cafeteria, and again, small farm town of Spring Valley, we didn't have these kind of things. You come in the cafeteria, and, and you could actually buy hamburgers, hot dogs, nachos, 
I've never seen something like this before. It's unbelievable. So I, I come into the cafeteria, I get my food, and then I walk into the main cafeteria, and all of a sudden I look up, and there's just this mass of humanity, and there was like a pit in my stomach. Because I knew. I didn't know a single person. So I, I noticed this table of friends and this table of friends, but I didn't belong to that yet. So I went in the way back. There was a couple other students sitting by themselves, and I was so shy and introverted, I didn't initiate any conversation. I just sat back there by myself. And it was one of the hardest and most emotional experiences of my life, because it wasn't just the first day of school. It actually went on for two months. And it was the worst part of my day. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is not something that's relegated to middle school or high school. We have this, this desire to belong. I eventually made friends. But oftentimes in the cafeteria, I would look around and I'd see other groups that are laughing and having a great time. And I just, I wish I could have that. And maybe you look around um, at your workplaces or your neighborhoods or around here at church and you just say, I, I wish I could have that. God's beloved. I am God's beloved. No matter if you're sitting at the, at the cafeteria by yourself, it's to know that you belong to God. You are God's beloved. And this term, God's beloved, and I'm going to close with this, is a very, very loaded term. Um, in fact, the term for beloved is this great Hebrew word, dod. It's like saying that, dod. And what it means is actually a combination of things. It means love, but it also has this sort of cooking uh, meaning to it, meaning boil, boiling over. Kind of like when you make spaghetti and you go to watch TV and you come back and, you know, the, the, the boiling water is overflowing. It's that idea of the, 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 the water is boiling over. So when we say God's beloved, we're talking about a love that's intense and a passionate. It boils over. Because when we use the word love in our language, you know, we just use it so common, you know. I love Mexican food. I love denim. I love my wife. Right? Yeah. The word loses meaning. But right here, this writer uses a certain kind of word to express beloved. And what he's saying is that God's love for you boils over. It's so intense. It's so passionate. His love boils over you. So much so that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this world to restore you. To restore you back to kind of the Garden of Eden where there would be this special bond where you would have this close relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave his life on the cross, shed his blood, died on the cross, so that you could become God's beloved. And maybe you're here this morning for the first time, it's kind of coming together to understand this intense, passionate love that God would sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, just for you. So that you could say with confidence, I am God's beloved. And maybe this morning you haven't taken that step to invite Jesus Christ, as it says in Revelation 3.20, you have not opened up the door of your heart to him. And I want to invite you to do that, to accept this intense, passionate love of God that loves you as you are and not as you should be. That is the gospel. And this community believes so much in that. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you. I'm going to pray. And it's simply a prayer. And you, and you can pray this quietly. 
to actually accept Christ into your life, to make him the savior and leader of your life, where you can say, I am God's beloved, and he accepts me, accepts me exactly the way I am right now. And he's going to bring about the need to change my life. Well, I'm going to pray. And if that's you this morning, you have not taken that step, please, I encourage you to take that step. And you can just pray quietly. You can repeat these phrases that I give as I pray. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life to be the savior and leader of my life. Forgive me for my sins, and there are many. Cleanse me. I accept your free gift of grace and salvation this morning, October 4th, 2015. And I pray that you would go before me, beside me, behind me, as I enter into my workplace and my family into this new life where I can say for the first time, I am God's beloved. And God, help me to grow in this new faith. Help me to hear your voice in my life. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.